Well, hello everyone. Uh, welcome back to episode three of the Life Behind the Trig podcast. You are joined once again by myself, Kyle Randalls, and Sinclair Patience. Uh, today we have a few topics in line, uh, and we're going to start off with the first one, which is basically involving what trips you've been on and uh, your time competing within the Highland Games. Firstly, Sinclair, how are you doing? I'm good, Kyle. Yeah, good. Um, we're still on lockdown, obviously. Nicholas Sturgeon says it's going to be uh, another three weeks here. So I was chatting to some of the guys over uh, in America through the week and, and they were saying, for the most part, um, in some areas, they're pretty much getting back to normal. But we've still plenty time on our hands. And uh, I think that's sort of evidence with this being the, the third podcast in as many weeks. <laughs> third podcast in two weeks, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, good. Uh, I think on the top of topic of trips, obviously um, we mentioned it previously, but somewhere we've both been um, is Minnesota. So that was that was one of my first trips with the Highland Games, and I remember being pretty nervous because I was quite new to the sport and hadn't done a, a huge amount of throwing. I'd, I'd come up off the back of playing a a lot of rugby, and I travelled to Minnesota on my own, so. Um, it took a couple of flights and uh, a good kind of eight to ten hours. When I got there, um, everything was pretty pretty un- unfamiliar. I remember going to, I think it was Mall America or something. Oh, it was it's called. insane! All, all, um, I, all I can remember from it is the giant transformer in the Lego place. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was really cool and different to anything that we have here. Um, and I got a. This is going to sound sound dodgy, but I got a water massage, um, and it wasn't anything dodgy. It was literally that... you lie down on a bed and get get blasted with like a a power hose. <laughs> is that inside or outside but, your uh, body? It gave me a, a psychological advantage <laughs> ahead of the games, um, but no, that that was a, a really cool trip, and I was really well looked after. Um, I think I think I mentioned the name Kevin. How do you say Kevin's name? Is it Kevin Dupree? I'm probably completely bastardising it, but I think it's Kevin Dupuis, yeah. And then the other gentleman I remember is Lenny. Lenny, yeah. yeah Lenny's Lenny. a lad. Lenny was a great guy. He uh, So the, the night before the games, he, he took me out for dinner. Um, and we had we had a good couple of beers. Um, like this was this was after my uh, my water massage. He, he didn't join me for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, he took me out for dinner. We had a good few beers and... Uh, and then on the day, what I liked about that games, it, it was a one-day games, as far as I can remember. Yeah, um, which is obviously what we're used to as as Scottish throwers. Um, I know a lot of the the bigger American games are always spread across two days, but with Minnesota, it was the Amateur World Championships, and it was uh, all all eight events. We didn't we didn't throw the sheaf, which I was quite glad about, but we did all eight events in in one day. Um, and it was nothing too unusual. I think for me that was the first, maybe the first ever time I'd thrown the the heavy weight. So I oh. seem to remember uh, there was a wee bit of chat on on NASCA before the championship. That's that's where everyone uh, used to go back then. And that was there wasn't really as much social media, so NASCA was, was kind of where everyone went to chat. And there was a bit of chat that um, I'd I'd maybe fall down a bit in the heavy weight, but I ended up throwing. I think. 37 or 38 feet and bad, uh, that that massively helped me in, in taking the taking the win overall there so yeah my 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 first trip was a, a really good experience going over to minnesota 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. you you went there as well, didn't you? I think that was one of my first trips. The only place I'd been to before that was um, it was like a. I think there were there was ties between the the Basque country and Scotland, um, and it would have been probably ten or eleven years ago. And it was Jerry Reynolds who we've previously mentioned. He organised a trip, so there was like a youth pipe band. There was some Scottish folk music, and we basically went out um, from a from a ferry from Portsmouth over to uh, Santander, and then we basically went on like a tour of the Basque country and the the north uh, the north of Spain. And that was a bit of a highlight for me. I could talk about that at great length, but. Yeah, I mean, that, that was my first real taste of going abroad with the games. And then pretty early on, I'm pretty sure I was asked because they couldn't find anyone else. I also went out to Minnesota. So when I was there, I think it was the same for yourself. It was sort of advertised as being the Amateur Worlds. Yeah, Amateur Worlds. That that was kind of before uh, the, the IHGF then came on board with, with Ryan Vieira and Francis Bremner. Um, is, uh, but, is, that, but, is that the Intergalactic Highland Games Federation? <laughs> something like that to be fair any any ihgf games i've uh i've been to have been been very well run and very well organized so um i, I can't say say anything bad against them but um certainly Merck, you know there, there was a lot of debate at the time when when uh when they did set up and they're not so much going for professionals anymore i, I think francis has a a Stones of Strength series, which is pretty successful, and they still run their their amateur championship again, which a number of guys have come through in the last few years. But yeah, when when we went over to Minnesota, that was that was still the the amateur championships, and I believe still is. I, I, I think I, I'm not sure if it exists in the same uh, format. I know Kevin's no longer involved with running. I actually spoke to him maybe last year towards the end. But uh, right. when I went, I'm pretty sure I was asked as like a last minute. We need the the, the sort of token Scotsman. And I would have been. I don't. Even, I don't know if I was eighteen yet. I think I might have been seventeen. Okay. I'd never thrown a heavyweight. Um, it was actually me. And my dad went, and we just took a shit ton of money and basically bought clothes that would fit me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, that's always we, a, we a went bonus over. over. Uh, my, my dad uh, worked. Uh, he works with with wood a lot um, and a sawyers and whatnot. So he he ended up actually making the two cabers whilst he was there. He, he helped him out. Um, their cabers had snapped. So I remember it was myself, Kevin, and Lenny, um, and my dad. We were just sitting with the cabers, and my dad ended up shaving it down, and 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 they treated it and whatnot. Um, and I remember going to the field and thinking, "Wow, this isn't actually that big." And then it was then I found out we don't throw a light hammer. And uh. I, I sort of immediately went, "Well, shit," because that was what I probably would have picked up points in. Uh, and similar to yourself, first time I'd thrown the heavy weight, and I can remember. Um, there was a judge there who was sitting in the death zone, if you know what I mean, with the, the weight. For anyone yeah. who doesn't know, there's an area where the weight will come out of your hand if it's going to. He sat right there, and in my first roll with it, I came round. My tacky I was using went to basically went to shit with the, the, the heat. It came straight out of my hand, and it passed about a foot, two foot from his face. Um, so th- that, that was quite scaring. Um, yeah. All the way through was the heavy hammer, which again, I, I don't know. I, I actually should probably look up the results, but I, I did not have a good games. Um, uh, probably wasn't a, a highlight for me, but uh, I mean, great trip as you said. Kevin and uh, Lenny looked after me, had a good time, and you know, it's at one of those uh, Renaissance festivals, the Renfest, which on its own I would describe with the phrase "eye opening." <laughs> it's certainly eye opening. There's there's a lot of folk in uh, in fancy dress, isn't there? Playing playing sword fights. <laughs> yeah, playing playing. Uh, 
playing Dungeons and Dragons sort of sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, and, and yeah. It's funny because there's a whole variety of people who are there having a good time dressed up, and then there's the people who, you know, this is like their day of the year where they uh, they get to be who they want to be. You know, there's a bit of that um, over here in Scotland, but but nowhere near as much as as over there. And there's there's always clan tents and things like that as well. And that's what I I meant when I. I said a few weeks ago, sometimes these games are more Scottish than the, the Highland games here. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned the clan tents, right? I mean, you do get them here, but they're not quite as um, prominent, I would say. And it tends to be like like Newton Moore's the McPherson's. Like, you know, it's like their, their day, if you know what I mean, the gather then. You don't really get that. So the biggest shock to me is when I was in Florida in, what was it, January? So there was like a yeah. Team Scotland versus Team America. And we had a free day, so we went down to watch the, the women's events, which I think is East-West. So we'd watch okay. that a bit and then we thought, right, you know what? Never been around these uh, clan tents, let's go. So we're walking around and Jamie Gunn was with us and Jamie ended up in the gun tent for, I don't know, half an hour. <laughs> we actually lost him. And he reappeared later and it was uh, it was pretty merry. I think he'd been given a few whiskeys. And it turned out that I think the the, the people these, you know, from the tent that were sort of holding as the, the chieftain of uh, clan gun is actually one of Jamie's relatives. <laughs> Oh really? And I was just saying to him, imagine if you told them that at the time, how they'd uh, you know reacted to that. Yeah, that that's. Uh, I suppose it's pr- pretty predictable that though when you when you've got um, like I know the guns are predominantly from the far north of Scotland, an area called Caithness, um, and so are the Sinclairs. So whenever I am o- overseas at games, I will try and pass in by the clan tents and, and just say hello um, but they're usually disgusted that I'm not wearing a Sinclair tartan um, but coming up through the games Craig Sinclair always had a, a Sinclair kilt so uh, I, I would never wear a Sinclair tartan, I'd, I'd always be in uh, random plaids rather than tartans. Are you, are you saying <laughs> that Craig, Craig Sinclair wearing a Sinclair tartan was enough to put you off? Do we have that <laughs> yeah. on record here? My, my great right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, nah, they don't like when you don't wear their tartans. Coming back to your, your Basque country trip, Kyle, um, I'm sure Rogue have have done a... Well, they did that Stoneland documentary, Rogue Fitness. Um, they're they're pretty big at, and, and doing a really good job of covering things like Strongman at the moment. Um, but I'm sure they've previously also done a, a documentary on stone lifting in the Basque country. Yeah, it's big sort of rectangular blocks weighing up to like 300 kilos that they're they're literally lifting to their shoulder maybe even more i think i've uh i've seen up to 400 or 500 kilos like crazy weights that these guys are are lifting up to their shoulder did you see any of that when you were over there i did yeah and no, i was honestly sort of mesmerized um one of the sort of local strongmen when we were in i don't know if it was pamplona and the other place i can't even begin to attempt to pronounce it but it was uh towards sort of the Bilbao area um, he actually yeah. competed with us. And this is what I love about the Highland Games, right? We don't speak the same language. Um, he could only say a few words to, like, hello and whatnot. And yet the whole day we just spent the day together, like, having a laugh. You know what I mean? It's, it's the beauty of the, the, the sport that we both do, um, competing together, just having a good time. And then afterwards he went out and they do this crazy thing where there's, like, a it's almost like a caber that's been planted in the ground. And then they'll, they'll walk around it chopping um, chunks out and they'll put wooden planks in and then they'll go around it until they get to the top. Yeah, so the, I've seen I've seen videos of that. This yeah. guy, this guy threw with us all day, competed, um, did incredibly well for someone that had never trained, like just that natural strength. And then afterwards, went and they competed in some of the the events that they had running there. 
But uh, when I was there, if I recall, there was myself, Tommy De Bruyne, there was Aaron Neighbor, um, Jimmy Vanderville, oh, yeah, Peter Booma, um, and I think there was a few more folks. Uh, but it was one of boom, the boom. boom 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 boom. Did that start there? No. Uh, you know what? It probably did. It probably did. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie, but. It was a good competition, and uh, there were some good times after it. Um, the Basque have some wonderful homemade cider. Oh, nice. Also, was presented with what I would describe as one of the rarest pieces of meat I've ever eaten in my life. Um, I'm not sure if they even cooked it. <laughs> How long did you spend out there? Was it more than just a couple of days then? I mean, come on, Sunky, it was ten years ago. Uh, but I think it was a uh, five five days, maybe. Um, yeah, there was a sort that- of day there, day back sort of gig. That's a good amount of time because too, too many too many times I've literally sort of flown in on the the Friday night, um, competed Saturday Sunday, and then flown out again either Sunday night or or very early hours of Monday morning, and uh, it's just not the kind of trip you you want. You're still very well looked after and usually have a good time at the games, but it's it's not great in terms of trying to throw far. Um, and it's not great in terms of trying to see these countries either. You know, it's it makes things pretty pretty tough. That so, what I'd started kind of saying is, if if I'm going over six hours on a flight, I want to spend a good couple of days before and a good couple of days after the games, um, and actually have an experience rather than just go and throw. Oh yeah, I know I know exactly what you mean. I mean, thankfully when we were we travelling through the Basque country, we had a coach. And I actually stayed on a farmhouse in the middle of the, the, the basically the mountains in the north of Spain. And I woke up in the morning and I had one of the most insane breakfast spreads I'd ever seen. And the, the farmer we were staying with basically told us that he'd basically freshly um, milked the cows. So that the milk was literally like probably minutes old. The eggs were <laughs> uh, from there this morning. And there was a whole, a whole plateau of just food that I'd never tried before. Uh, so it was quite an experience as well. Um, and yeah, it's just that... it's just been accepted into like the local culture. Like we were in the the sort of central plaza of the town. They just put out tables, put up a giant sort of gazebo, and we were, the whole town was there just eating with us. Like it was insane. That's what you want, you know. You want you want to feel welcome. I'll tell you somewhere I didn't. Um, again, going going back to to being being younger um, and just just getting into the Highland Games, I would always go to to Dougie Edmonds games. Um, he, he's a guy in Scotland that, that would obviously look after a lot of younger throwers, and I know he did with with you as well, Kyle. You know, kind of yeah. we'd always we'd always invite you in, and you were guaranteed a um, a bit of cash if if you did throw at Dougie's games, which was nice too. Um, so he he asked me if I'd go over to to Riga in Latvia, um, and again I can't I can't fault the trip. Um, r- really good trip. I was very well looked after. Stayed in a five star hotel. Um, but there was nothing in terms of entertainment after the, the, the trip. So I thought I'd take myself into uh, into Riga. Um, so I, I had a few vodkas at the at the bar, um, at the hotel, <laughs> and they frowned upon me massively when I asked for a vodka Coke. Um, oh so I had to buy uh, large measures of vodka followed by small bottles of coke uh definitely more than a than a 50 50 but i had a couple of those anyway then i took myself into to riga which is something i'd never really do now uh because y- you hear stories of like stag dudes going over there and um they're they're not welcome <laughs> i think there's there's lots of uh beautiful women in riga and, and it's pretty well known so you get a lot of uh 
a lot of tourists going over looking for a, a, a girlfriend or a wife. Um, I was uh, I was partnered with my, my current wife Sarah at the time, so I certainly wasn't doing that. But can I, I did can take I myself into it and ask the question: <laughs> Did you get a water massage? I didn't get a water massage in Riga. No, no, That's where you went wrong. I didn't get any. Didn't get any form of uh, massage in Riga. But yeah, I, I took myself into town and uh, ended up drinking a lot more than than two vodkas. And just didn't feel very, very welcome at all. But um, what saved me was I found a, an Irish karaoke bar. And I remember at like half two in the morning phoning my now wife, Sarah, asking her what I should sing in, in karaoke. And she promptly kind of told me, look, I don't think it's very safe. You've been out on your own at half two in the morning in Riga. So maybe get yourself back to the hotel. Um, but I remember rocking up at the airport about half six in the morning. And I don't think I'd been to bed. Um, and they weren't going to allow me on the flight, so not one of my best experiences. But uh, luckily, I got on the flight, got home, and have a nice, uh, a nice little walking stick, which I received as a oh, wow. as a winning prize. Um, so that's still sitting there in the living room and reminds me of my uh, karaoke. What uh, <laughs> what would your go to karaoke song be? Out of curiosity, I can't remember what I was recommended to sing, but I think I gave Five Hundred Miles a good bash. Classic. Absolute classic. Had to be, had to be. Um, I which probably, again, an Irish bar went down okay. I think if I'd tried it anywhere else, it wouldn't have been warmly received. <laughs> I mean, people people know that song worldwide, but uh, I'd have to say, I mean, I'd probably personally go for Toto Africa. Uh, yeah. Timeless <laughs> classic. <Yeah. laughs> That's a good one. Uh, the, but, the, um, the next trip that would stand out for me would have been uh, Germany. I think it was 2013 for... That would have been the IHGF Worlds. Um, oh yeah, was uh, it was amateur? Uh, yeah, it was. It was my first uh, experience of uh, sort of going abroad and um, competing with like a bunch of people that I knew their names and 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 knew who they were, but didn't know them. So yeah. I, it was in the uh, Frustenwald. I probably said that wrong, but it was the Doros that uh, had sort of organised it, and then you had. I mean, it was pretty pretty cool because you had the uh, Ryan and Francis both judging you, and obviously massive names in the games. Um, yeah. And they're standing judging you all day. There was people from more countries than I knew. There was a uh, Highland Games in, and uh, I remember we were competing against the sort of controversial figure of Robert Fazekas. Oh yeah, and he yeah. went on to actually win it. And I think he went through and ended up competing at the professional worlds. He did, yeah, he did. I threw against him uh, in Brazier in France, which, by the way, is one of the best venues I've ever uh, competed at. Amazing venue, just nice make, castle there. I think just about everyone that's competed there is pretty much. Uh, Repeated your words, but, yeah, yeah. Ro have you Ro seen? Uh, have you seen pictures of it? I have, yeah. And uh, I mean, there's the guy that always emails you with the blog stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. He he, he eventually beat me into submission, and I, I eventually ended up reading it, and it was quite an interesting. Uh, Jean Louis, yeah. <laughs> he keeps keeps us all up to date with the with the blogs, but no, that's an amazing, amazing venue. But yeah, but yeah, Fazekas, he 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 uh, he competed. Uh, in France, and he didn't do too well, so but you're right, it was definitely a controversial thing at the time as well. Um, yeah. I think, was he not on a lifetime ban from athletics? Uh, I, I mean, I don't know the, the specifics, but I believe he was technically on a lifetime ban and he uh, somehow competed against us. Um, and you, you, I mean, obviously, we can say what we want about him, and that's probably a topic for another time, but technically, in most events, he was absolutely horrendous, and at the end, he would just go thwack. It was the most yeah. insane thing. Like the twenty-eight, it just came round, nothing to it, and just pulled it, and it would go like 
75, 80 feet. It's uh, yeah, mind blowing, yeah. mind blowing. Uh, it always is when you when you see guys do, doing that, um, just that that natural sort of power, you know, or maybe not, maybe not natural in that case. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose that's one one way to look at it. Um, but it's funny, like a lot of the guys I competed with there, like sort of went on and they, they've been to your your worlds. I mean, there was a lot of familiar faces from my, my previously mentioned trip in the the Basque country. And um, Peter and Jimmy were both there, and uh, you know, there's there's a lot of people I've met there that I still speak to regularly, and they come over here now and compete. So that's the sort of beauty of the games, you know. Yeah, and and it's we we kind of mentioned it the the last time around, but it's the friendships that you make, and a lot of them need to continue online because you know we we sometimes only see each other every two or three years, um, but often when you when you do. Uh, catch up with these guys again it's it's like you are throwing with them every week because you know you've been keeping up with their performances on facebook or on instagram and you generally do keep in touch you, you mentioned daniel doro and um i was speaking to daniel online just the other day he was telling me he's, he's well on his way with uh building a, a big new house and hasn't had too much time to train recently but he's, he's hoping to to get back to it um but yeah daniel's definitely a guy that came on through that kind of amateur ranks into professional, and he he actually threw very well. Uh, Hank in in Holland, Tommy De Bruyne hosted the World Championships, and uh, Daniel threw very well in two thousand and eighteen. So he's been kind of good guy, Daniel. With, uh, injury since I know I've spoken a few times about it. It's uh, it's one of those frustrating yeah. ones where it's like his shoulder. I think he was saying, but oh, you feel for someone when they've got something they know what's wrong, but they can't fix it. You know. Yeah, I think Daniel had a bit of nerve damage in, in his shoulder, um, which is a shame because, like I said, he'd, he'd really come on through the amateurs and I think won IHGF Amateur Worlds um, and then performed well in the, the Webster Worlds in, in 2018. What are other memorable trips for you, Kyle? You've, you've, uh, my trips are quite standard and um, I could go into to a bit of depth on them. I've, I've been to Pleasanton a number of times, which is, I think, one of the biggest games in the world and one of the best run games in the world as well. Steve Conway um, does an absolutely amazing job in, in running those Highland games. Um, and another guy that, that sticks out for me there is is Kel Mulry. Um, Kel's thrown in Scotland a few times. I, I don't know if you've, if you've met Kel before, but again, an absolutely great guy and one of the best kind of hosts that I've come across. Um, he'll always look out for both the Scots and the, the European throwers when you go there. Um, he'll show you around San Francisco and, uh, you know, just, just a really, really good guy that makes you feel welcome. Um, that massively helps when you've you've travelled across the world, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've not met Kel, but uh, Steve I've never met, but I've spoken to him online a bit. I mean, he was sort of one of the people I was speaking to about going to um, Fergus this year, but again, that's uh, unfortunately tits up as the whole, as the whole season. Um, yeah, but there are yeah. these there are these games that almost have a, a legend of their own, and Pleasanton's one that I've again never heard anyone say anything negative about. Just the the sheer size of it and the the sort of history it's steeped in. Yeah, no, it's 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 an amazing Highland Games, and the the sheer volume of throwers as well. I can't really get my head round. I think they they plan to change things slightly this season and and only have um, maybe six professional men but also six professional women. I think they were also going to have amateur classes, but 
six in each class and the, the men and women were going to receive equal pay. So that's quite a big step forward for the sport. Yeah, I mean, that, that's something we're going to discuss uh, later. Perhaps we should have discussed this last. But yeah, the, the sort of difference in games between the USA and Scotland, but we'll bring that up afterwards. That's certainly, I mean, that's probably another one that's a podcast in itself, you know. Uh, yeah, no, de- definitely. definitely. I'll, uh, I'll quickly skim the rest of the trips I've been on. I have been out to Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur a few times. The St. Selangor um, St. Andrews Society. That's a mouthful for you. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. The Salangor St Andrews Society. That's it. Yeah, they've uh, they've invited me out three times. I was meant to go just before this started, and it's a uh, Neil Elliott, Big Nelly. Everyone knows <laughs> Nelly, and um, he's sort of looked after me and takes me out there. And uh, the last few times I've uh, taken Amy, and I don't know, I don't know what she was thinking of you know the country as a whole and what it was like, but she absolutely adored it. Um, it's got that weird tropical, sticky, warm heat. Um. Like it can thunder rain, and I mean like a monsoon, and then fifteen minutes later it's bone dry. It's a, uh, it's pretty surreal. And the games there, people like people go daft for it. Like the 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 obviously the actual Scots, the expats that are there, and then there's people that come in to watch, and the whole experience there is just amazing, start to finish. And as you said, being looked after can make a, a trip so memorable, and you're you're certainly looked after there. And then 2018, this is probably one of the most surreal and memorable experiences of my life. Four of us were asked to go out to Kyrgyzstan to basically showcase the Highland Games in what is called the World Nomad Games. So it's essentially like an Olympic Games equivalent for nomadic peoples. So most of them tend to reside in your Stan countries, if you know what I mean by that. Your Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, you know, I could go on. Um, There's a Russian influence there, there was Chinese, um, there was some Turkish, some Hungarians, and the whole experience there, I, I, I can't summarise it enough about it, but um, we, we ended up flying into Kazakhstan and then from Kazakhstan we were into Kyrgyzstan. We met the British ambassador there and it was actually him that had wanted us to go out. So we were to go out because Britain had never had a, a, a basically a footing in it. They'd always just went along um, in terms to, sh- not show face, but you know what I mean. Like, oh, we're, we're supporting it. So the, the, we don't really have a nomadic culture here um, looking back. The closest thing you had was the clans. So yeah. we ended up going out and basically showcasing our equivalent of strongman, which is the throne. So we ended up out in front of the presidents of most of the countries I've mentioned in the central arena, throwing hammers, throwing cabers, and basically doing our thing. And one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life was walk, walking it like, I, I don't know the exact, but it was like five, six, seven thousand feet. And we probably walked about a mile through a forest and essentially a, a camp. And when I say a camp, I mean yurts everywhere, horses everywhere, people cooking, people gutting animals. And we were just walking through with a caber, hammers and weights. And on that trip, (laughs) it was um, Neil Elliott, Willie Faulkner, Dan Carlin and myself. And if you were to ask any of them, I'm sure they would all say it was one of the most surreal experiences of their life. And in the morning, we'd get this sort of grill sort of stuff in the the hotel where we're staying, which was a former um, sanitarium. Um, It was used um, by the Soviets years ago. The, the beds, you know, people will say, oh, their feet hang off the bed. Like, I mean, like, my, my ankles and my, almost from my knee down were off the bed. Yeah. <laughs> it has one of the world's highest saltwater lakes. And swimming in that is weird because it's, like, almost gloopy. Like, when you swim, you just glide through it and you can float easily. It's, I mean, start to finish, unbelievable. Um, I, I ended up uh, basically having no breakfast. And every day would drive up to the games and I'd have a ribeye steak. So, you know, for, for for one massive cut of ribeye. And Britain, what would you be for that? You know, five, six, seven pounds? 
Yeah, or more. Yeah. That's what I mean. So there, I'd get three three steaks for the the price of that, and they were cooked perfectly, just medium uh, medium rare. But I'll never yeah. forget we ended up in the dignitary's yurt, the the big fancy one. We we had a spread in front of us, and we'd sort of been nudged, and it was a uh, just you know you're 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 there representing your country. We'd walked in an opening ceremony with the flag. You know, it was pretty emotional. Uh, we had a pipe band with us that actually played uh, some pipes, although they'd been warned not to. And people were going bananas for it. Apparently, it made like the papers over there. Um, but we were in the yurt, and we'd been told, right, whatever they put in front of you, just eat it. So we'd had like a soup put down first. We ate that; it was quite nice. And then there was like a sort of uh, bready thing came, and then there was this white, like circular sort of cut, and we weren't sure what it was. And you know, we'd be encouraged to try to eat it. So I'd cut a bit off and I put it in my mouth, and I'm chewing them, and I'm chewing. And I mean, there was quite a quite a nice a nice flavour to it, but it was you know sitting there and. Five minutes later, I'm still kind of gnawing on it and gnawing on it. And then the one of the, the attaches that was with us, he basically said to us, that, that's, a, that's horse intestine. And I was like, horse yeah. intestine? And he basically said, you're eating a horse's arsehole. <laughs> we, we did exactly the same thing at Brasweer with the Craig Sinclair. Oh, God, I've heard about this. <laughs> Everyone was, was smelling it, and it just literally smelt like... I mean, I, I don't know if you're having audio problems there, thinking you cut out, but when we'd had it, I think it had been boiled, so it was pretty chewy, and I was sitting there. It didn't necessarily taste bad. Yeah. Uh, did I get cut off you, there, did there, just for a second? It just no, kinda... That's strange, I don't know. But, but yeah, we were... Uh, <laughs> everyone was passing this thing around, and asking Craig. Craig Sinclair uh, eventually came to him, and uh, rather than smelling it, he, he just popped it straight in his mouth, oh. chewed it down and swallowed. I couldn't believe it, but uh, yeah, it's strange, strange. I suppose people might think similar of uh, some of our uh, delicacies like haggis, but certainly for us, that that was a strange one. See, I mean, see haggis, <laughs> I, I, I always say to people, just don't think about what's in it and you're fine, because it doesn't taste bad. No, it just tastes the spices, doesn't it? Exactly. It doesn't, doesn't taste bad at all. Um, but that that sounds like a great trip. It, 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 did it was it kind of political as well then? Because it sounds like you know if it's the first time the UK. I mean, we we certainly we, we yeah. weren't we weren't out there just to to you know have a throw and have a good time. It was to show that um, Britain sort of was there and we were involved in this. So I mean, we walked in an opening ceremony, and I'm not joking. It was like an Olympic ceremony, but obviously on a slightly smaller scale. And yeah, I mean the amount of people just going around that wanted to come up, talk to you, and basically ask what are you doing, and obviously the usual you wear a kilt and people think what's wrong with this guy, so people were just coming up with pictures, and I remember that the weirdest experience was we arrived in the airport and there was probably three or four thousand people outside the airport just wanting to see the people that were coming into the country, and you're yeah. walking through the crowd, crowd and people are just touching you. It's <laughs> it's kind of. You know, bizarre. You got, you, you, got, you got a taste of fame. But basically, yeah, famous at last. I, I, I had the same thing. Like I talked about the, the trip to Latvia, and um, in Latvia, ice hockey's massive. Right. And uh, like I said, Doug, Doug Edmonds sorted me out with a, a really good five star hotel. And um, when I came out of the hotel on the day of the games, there must have been about fifty or sixty media there. Wow. And um, I thought, ah, oh, Doug does done real well here. Uh, he set this up for for the games, and then as soon as I walked out, they uh, they all looked extremely disappointed and lowered their cameras. Oh. But uh, I later found out that the the Latvian ice hockey team uh, were staying at the same hotel, and some of them were 
sort of superstars and I think played played ice hockey in, in Canada and, and America. So um yeah, massive, massive sport over there and I think that's kinda of what a lot of them aim to do is, is get themselves over overseas uh, and make a living from, from that. I mean you have to respect that, you know. I mean I've been on uh, I've been I've been to Florida twice as well. That's for the Scotland sort of America thing. Um obviously I was actually thinking about this, right? I, I was competing in January, so technically I've got throws in this year, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to end the season as one of the highest ranked throwers in the world because no one else is going to have an opportunity to throw. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one. There, there, there might be some uh, some backyard Highland Games, <laughs> um, which I'm not sure whether they'll be ranked or not. But yeah, you, you'll certainly be one of the the only guys to to have competed this year, which is kind of cool. Um, but at the same time, a bit a bit disappointing as well, isn't it? Pretty, I mean, pretty frustrating when you've uh, when you've put in a good winter. But yeah, I think just to to wrap up um, my trips, as I said, I've done a number in in Europe. Uh, Brisbane been a a highlight. Also, places like like Latvia, um, but also overseas. You know, I've I've been to Pleasanton a number of times. Um, I've also been to, to Canada, so I've been to Antigonish, um, which is a great games. When I went, it was IHGF World Team Championships. Um, oh, wow. And then I've also thrown at Fergus as well. Um, and I mentioned last time, that Fergus is definitely in my top three of Highland Games. Um, and again, it's not just due to the the competition, it's, it's also due to how well you're looked after. So Warren Trask is the athletic director, um, and he's an absolutely great guy. He, he had me stay at his house, um, looked after me really well with the support of uh, Lynn Bowen Richardson. So I know you, you've met Lynn a few times, Kyle, but Lynn's great as well. And um, Besides David Webster, she, she probably knows as, as much about Highland Games than, than anyone else in the world. She's incredibly knowledgeable about past throwers um, and can even at times recite distances as well. So, wow. Um, worth mentioning Lynn on the podcast because she uh you know she's she's great for the, the the Highland Games and has been for a number of years. Yeah, I mean um the, the, the trips are something that when I first started throwing I didn't realise they were they were a thing that existed. And I've got to say they're they're one of the most enjoyable parts of the games, uh, especially through my experiences. Um I don't think I really have any negatives whatsoever. No, no I, I don't have negatives. I've 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 Poor performances, um, which again you can make excuses. It is tough to go and to go and throw far, but at the same time, there there are people who do it very well. So you, you can't really make excuses. Um, that's probably the toughest thing at times. You know, if you're not competing where you where you think you should be uh, in terms of throwing distances, but yeah, to, to get to get to travel through a sport that you love competing in. Um, nothing really compares to that. I think the, the opportunities that come with the Highland Games are mentioned before, but they're, they're endless. Um, and you can get all over the world to do something which you you, you love doing. So um, it's great, great sport to be involved with. I mean, I'm not sure where else a wee fat boy for Falkirk can go around the world throwing hammers with a kilt on, you know? Yeah. There's not many other yeah. opportunities for someone to do that. Um but yeah, one of the things we're looking to bring up, and we're not doing this in necessarily a positive or a negative light, but it's just the differences between, at least the heavy side, the games between the, the sort of North America and Scotland. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing I would like to immediately say is I feel like 
in Scotland, we're almost stuck with it being a, a purely spectator sport. You know, the games have existed for so long and the people come to watch throws. Um, and, 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 you know, there, there's time constraints because there is so much going on. Um, and I feel like in America, it's, it's there's almost an equal state between it being for the competitors as well as the, the spectators, if that makes sense. Just curious on what your take on that would be. Yeah, I think there's a balance. Um, like the Glenfiddich circuit, there's, there's usually twelve or thirteen Highland Games, and you're 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 well looked after. You know, you, you turn up, um, you know roughly the order of events and the timings. You always have a break for lunch, um, where you're provided with a lunch box. Whereas some games you turn up to, uh, that just doesn't happen. You you know you you're not sure what time you're you're starting. There's no break for lunch, so you you do need to be well prepared. Um, it depends on what part of the country you're in as well. So in the north and in Grampian, I think you're you're well looked after as as throwers, whereas other parts of the country and quite often in the central belt, um, the focus probably shifts more towards the athletic side of things. Um, so in Scottish Highland Games, in addition to the heavies and, and the throwing side of things, there's also a lot of competition with runners and jumpers. Um, there's cycling, there's Highland dancing, and then there's the, the sort of musical side as well. But in the central belt, there is a lot of focus put on the, uh, the, the athletic side of things. And I think there's even, like you can go to the bookies and, and place bets on the athletic side as well. I know, I know you can also do that with the throwing, but there's, there seems to be more of a, a sort of stigma with that professional athletics in the Highland Games Um, and that's probably one of the biggest differences between Scotland and America as well is that we no no longer really have amateur and professional so all of our Highland Games you can win prize money and that's whether they're deemed as amateur or professional the the main difference in, in amateur and professional in Scotland now is just the trig setup which is something which we'll we'll come on to to discuss pretty shortly. But yeah, um, I mean, the, but the, yeah, the thing that confuses it even more is there are still games that are labelled as amateur, and there are still games that are obviously professional. And the only real difference, as you've touched on, is basically yeah, the trig setup. Um, you're from the same implements. I would say, in pretty much every amateur games I compete in, there are sectors, which is something that isn't always present at the professional stuff. Um. But I mean, going going back to our original point between the, the sort of differences, I mean, mm-hmm. an average games that I've been to in America, so take Florida, for example, this year, there must have been at least, you know, 50 to 100 people competing. Uh, games in yeah. Scotland, you'd maybe have, you know, 30 or 40 if you took all of the events in, and that's not just a throw-in, that's you talking about the, the light field events, which is like your athletics. And I mean, if you include your pipe bands, you can go into the hundreds or thousands there. Um, but it's it's basically a it's an ancient um, inspiration for the the modern Olympic Games. You know, there's everything happening at once. I don't know, if Sinky's uh, been lost with us there again. But, Not uh, still here, Kyle. But yeah, the the, the um, yeah, it is. I think I think that's kind of where the the Olympic Games originally stemmed from. And obviously, we still have events like the shot put and the and the hammer throw, although they're slightly different in athletics um, and that's probably one of the biggest things in America as well is that now you see a huge number of athletes come uh, from a, an amateur 
collegiate thrower background. We don't have that in, in Scotland either. So for the most part, our, our athletes have either been in it from an early age, you know, they, they maybe join the the 18 to 25 league, um, or they've come from other sports. So, you know, I've I've come from rugby, you've, you've come from athletics, but um, if that's the case, you know, you're probably not coming to the sport till you're maybe in your, your early to mid-20s, yeah. which which is quite late. If, if you're a good athlete, you'll still pick up things like techniques very quickly. Um, but that's definitely where I would say um, the US has has a probably I think they have a bit of a they're, they're further ahead than us in that respect you know I mean, of, of numbers coming through the, the biggest thing to look at Sinki is in my experience uh, in your your education here I wouldn't say sports massively put on you or encouraged whereas in America you know that's a part of everyone's life I can remember yeah. um, I, I've represented sort of Scotland um, at age group level through the Scottish schools and the UK schools and I remember having to basically push upon my teachers um, to, to be entered in things. Yeah, you, you can, yeah. You can enter yourself. The school had to. And yeah. in America, you know, I mean, there's, I mean, look at their college setup. People are getting houses provided for them, and oh, it's just it's it's like it, uncomparable. It's, it's so much more professional. I, I was literally the, the same as you. Um, I had to enter myself in the in the Scottish Schools Championships, and my dad took me down to compete. You know, um, there's just there's just not much emphasis on school sport in, in our country. Um, the clubs do okay, but but school sports just not really where it needs to be. And uh, we can get into a completely different debate on, but um, a lot of that's probably down to to teachers' pay. You know, yeah. there's an expectation that teachers will deliver extracurricular sport, um, which there's no incentive for them to do. And schools can't afford to fund external coaches, so that's kind of a, a massive barrier to, to getting into any form of sport in Scotland. Um, but yeah, that's one of the biggest differences, is just the number of, of people coming into the sport. Um, another thing is, you know, you talked about having having open days to, to attract people. Obviously, in, in America... Um, they have classes, so there's a C class, B class, A class, and then you can you can make the the jump to professional. I believe if if you compete professionally, you can't then go back and compete as an amateur. Is that is that correct? I, I think there's a I, 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 don't quote me on this. I'm sure someone will correct us, but I'm sure if you don't compete for a certain amount of years as a professional, you can go back to doing amateur games. Um, uh, okay, but I, I'm right. not I'm not entirely entirely sure. But the one thing I would say the games in America do do well is in terms of participant numbers. For example, here, I can't imagine what it would be like being, say you're in your mid-twenties, you've never thrown, and say you won't go, you know, one of the smaller games in Scotland and you think, I'm going to try the heavies today, you're still doing that in front of two or three thousand people. Like, there, there, there's, not yeah. a, there's not a gentle entrance, whereas if you're doing your amateur, you know, as you mentioned, your amateur C's, B's, A's, it's a sort of more gentle entry and you're competing against people who are at the same level as you. Whereas over here, it is just open. It's open to basically anyone. Um, so that is something I do admire and both curse about the games. Because uh, <laughs> the, the, the first year I was in Florida competing in 2014, we were doing the wait for height and we had to get cars brought over and put the headlights on because we were still going. <laughs> oh, really? It was getting dark. <laughs> Mid midnight games. Uh, in fact, I've seen, it, I've seen a, a cool... There was a, a video of uh, someone throwing the Scots hammer, but they 
they set the ball on fire. I've seen it with a wire hammer, but um, I think it was Hogmanay New Year's Eve. I saw someone do it with a with a, a sixteen pound Scots hammer. I have, um, uh, I've done that with a caber once. Uh, well, at the end of the fire, done? and I was running about my boxers throwing it. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to hear too much more about that story. I don't think. Listen, it's, it's nothing on your uh, your hose massage. <laughs> no, true, true. But, uh, but um, yeah, so that's one of the biggest differences. I, I've mentioned another, which is obviously the the two day versus the one day. So we're kind of as Scottish stores, we're conditioned to do seven or eight events in in one day. Uh, often we'll throw another games the next day. Or, I mean, if you're doing forty odd games, you you definitely will. Whereas I'll always compete better. Um, in a one-day event, so 2016 is a good example. That's probably one of my my stronger uh, performances at, at a Worlds. Um, that year, the Webster Worlds was up in Holkirk, um, and Scott Ryder won won that year. But that was just a one day. You know, we just went with the, the the normal format. Started a wee bit earlier, I think 11 o'clock start, and we were wrapped up by by half four in the afternoon, which was great. You know, you, you get through the day pretty quickly, whereas spreading across two days, you're only doing four events yeah. per day. Find that quite a tiring way to 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 run a games. You know, I mean, I feel like you can say it. We're we're pretty hardcore, um, <laughs> but I mean, I, I I know, for example, I've competed a Friday in a games, a Saturday and a Sunday, and the Friday you feel great, you're fresh. The Saturday you're sort of like, oh dear, I'm getting a bit sore, and then by the time the Sunday comes, you're you're, you're just feeling great again. Um, and obviously, there's always been games week here, which is was it was it seven games in eight or nine days? It used to be. It's, it's something like that, yeah. I think I've, you can do seven and nine. I've never done the full whack myself, just because I've always sort of been in full time employment, and mm-hmm. you need to do a fair bit of driving between them. So it's a case of if you're ever doing games week, you have to finish up at a games and then immediately drive, you know, four or five hours to get ready for the next day, which uh, it's yeah, it's kind of demanding. It's a big commitment. You you, you need. To- you definitely need to take the week off. I've I've never done it. I've done uh, I've done two in, in the week, but I've never done more. Like you said, I think uh, t- taking a week off and, and spending it purely doing games doesn't go down too well when you've only so many holidays to take. Correct, <laughs> but correct. I'm I'm wanting to get it done uh, at some point within the next five years. I'd, I'd love to do uh, all seven. Did you just ask me to do a road trip with you? We could. Do you want to do it? Hire a camper van. I mean, yeah, we could uh, copy Fred and Gino, you know, we could do, uh, do that style. <laughs> Let's do it, we'll do it. Next year, 21. If, if there's any games yet. Um, if anyone would like to sponsor us on our uh, Highland Games Week road trip, more than welcome. <laughs> anyone. Um, the, the other thing that we're going to discuss, and we've had this mentioned to us, a few people have brought it up, was the trig setup. Now, it has been sort of brought up over the last sort of five years, I would say, and it's changed and then it's been changed back and then something else has changed. And I honestly want to say that I find it to be almost like a complete non-issue for me. Yeah, I, I'm absolutely sick of discussing it. Really am. Um, we've tried things in the past, like we we had the Scottish Heavies Association, um, if you remember about, I don't know, eight, seven, eight years ago, I think. Um and we've worked with the Scottish Highland Games Association. The, the problem in Scotland is we're never going to reach that level of standardisation. Yeah. Um, so what we have at the moment is perfect. We we have a winged trig, um, and we need to have two feet in the box at all times. That kind of falls in line with the rest of the world. 
Um, and even if it doesn't, you still have the same amount of width as anywhere else you're going to throw. Yeah, if, if you have a winged trig with one foot out, all it does is create bad habits. So you're, you're just going to drift way too far left. Um, and it's not really going to benefit you. People will argue that it, it will. Um, it only will if you train specifically for that. But if you're so inefficiently a six foot nine, so so that's what your width is at the back of the trick. Um, the average... Not so much at the front because obviously the wings come in on you, you know, so you, so you don't have that full width. At the... But six foot nine at the back is, is plenty width. I don't think it needs discussed further. The problem in Scotland is the consistency because unless, if, if for example, the SHGA are creating a rule book, um, they need to strictly enforce those rules if it's going to be consistent. Um, and to do that, they'd almost need to provide games with a winged trick. Yeah. Because you can put out specs, but... Every uh, every game is going to have a slightly different joiner or whoever they use to make their trick, so they're never going to be that consistent. Uh, some some games, for example, just paint a wing on, and if you're just painting a wing, and then you're asking throwers to keep both feet within the box at all times, that becomes quite challenging because you know often you'll 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 smash the trick at the front and you'll use the wing to stay in. Yeah, you're, you're whereas right. if if you don't have that. Um, it does become really challenging. Maybe we should change the name of the podcast to Life Behind the Wing Trig. <laughs> Please never say that again. Um, <laughs> but I mean, in, in my experiences, I have to say, um, I mean, six foot nine, that's the, you know, you'd fit probably 95% of the human race in that um, lion. <laughs> it's, it's a massive amount of space. What I've found is, see, in, in the last few seasons where it's been two feet in, I've uh, I've went from you know finishing maybe top five in the weight to actually winning some of them, just because I'm incredibly cons uh, consistent with my footwork, so yeah. I very rarely foul. Whereas some of the people who are apart, you know, you know more often are not a bit more wild. Um, uh -huh. they, they will throw further, but they're fouling. And when there are yeah. fouls taking place, I tend to find that I'm I'm doing a lot a lot better. And you know, I mean, I'm I'm not the best weight thrower, but I'm not the worst. I'll, I'll peak in the you know the, the low to mid eighties. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, there's better throwers out there. Uh, it's a similar, similar. I have to say, with with the glide, you know, the glide you're maybe not going to throw quite as far as you you could with a spin, but it's a lot more consistent. Um, there's not yeah. much on the edge, you know. Yeah, I think yeah, it probably is a bit more consistent the the glide, um, and you're easier. You know, we a lot of us throw modified South African, so so front on in the stones. I remember uh, we've probably talked about him too much but Hamish Davidson <laughs> he'd always say that was a lazy man's technique and uh, it was created in desperation of, of other throwers to try and beat him <laughs> but <laughs> when you're doing the front on it is it's, it's slightly more challenging to, to stay within the box of a winged trig uh, but it's still more than doable And you know if you watch guys that have thrown fire with it with the front on like Ryan Vieira has, has put I think over 60 foot um you know, it's, it's doable. So I don't think we need to have too much debate about it, to be honest. Um, a winged trig works. And if you don't want a winged trig, then great, we're probably going to have even more space, you know. I, I, mean, um, I remember putting training videos up a lot a few years ago 
and I just stopped doing it. I couldn't be bothered because it gets so much hassle about, oh, why are you not training a wing trig? That's a foul. And you just get sick of discussing it. Um, so for me, personally, I'll now train um, in a five-foot width. Have you, you've got I, don't, I don't put wings on a training, but I give myself five foot and I'll stick within that box. You've got and your concrete if, box, right? That you made in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I laid a concrete. And, and again, people were were giving me a hard time about that. Why are you why are you throwing off concrete? It's nothing like the games. Well, the reason that I've always done that is because in Scotland, the weather's so unpredictable that if I went and painted a box in January, <laughs> um, after three throws, the thing's absolutely ruined. So having, having concrete allows me the consistency to, to hopefully get, get reps in, and it makes makes sense to me. Um, I mean, if I'm, the weather's good in the, the sort of springtime, you know, I, I will try and get out and throw on the grass. But for the most part, if you can uh, perfect your technique, which... I've not done in anything yet, <laughs> but I've got r relatively consistent techniques. Um, I think you're you're best on on concrete. I mean, I, I'm standing right beside you there. I've uh, my whole life trained in it's basically a car park. So for years, I used to use the the curb of the the car park as my trig. It's yeah. always there. It's always the same. It's always you know consistent. It can get wet, sure. It can be dry, sure. But you're working with the, the same the same sort of um, surface. And consi yeah. consistency with training is one of the most important things about you know improving or refining technique. And yeah. I'm the same as you. Like I've always trained at the same place. I find now um, when sort of May June hits and it's drier, I'll move on to the grass. Yeah, um, you can get you can get onto the grass. But the thing is, with, with the concrete as well, people say, "Ah, well, you, you'll throw further." Well, fine, we'll throw further in training then. But you don't. You you, you usually throw further at games. And, I'm I'm the same. Um, you know, it's we're not we're not posting distances and saying, "Oh, look, put fifty four foot in training." I've done it in the past because you get excited if you do. do, but but you know, it's not. No one actually cares. It's like, "Oh, you're winning training. Well done." Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm of the opinion that some of the worst people in the world are the people that go out throwing and they're like, "Hey, I just I just threw the the twenty eight hundred and twelve feet." It's like cool, but um, can you yeah. repeat it? Like, it doesn't mean anything. No, and again, we we've all done it. We've all we've all posted training distances because if you if you throw far in training, you you're excited about it, you know. Um, but I've I've figured that all all it does is put pressure on you then for for the weekend and and the games when they come around, you know. You just present an opportunity for you to look like a dick. <laughs> Pretty much, you should actually um, you should start wearing your kilt when you train though. I know this is something that we were just looking to lightheartedly mention, but why? I mean, honestly, people I've noticed recently are training in their kilts, and from our experience, if you did that in Scotland, you would be nothing short of bullied, um, <laughs> which obviously we don't condone. But I mean, I've seen quite a number of sort of you know your North Americans. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not sure where they're all from, but they're training in kilts. And I know there's like a connection and I want to sort of belong to the whole, you know, Scotland setup. And I know there's no games, so I do sympathise. But I'm just wondering, why? <laughs> I can't answer it. it can I ask, though, I, I, I've not been on uh, I've not been on social media as much, but um, is it people who would be competing at world championships, for example? Uh, no. No, it's not. <laughs> 
It's perhaps people who are, you know, um, they're maybe going out and they're... I always wonder, is it people, they want to feel like they belong to it and they want the authentic experience. And, you know, they're not harming anyone. I'm, I'm not saying stop it. I'm just... I'm just. I just want to. I want. I want to understand. I want to. I want to know why. Um, so if anyone can answer, I might make a, a return to to social media this week. Um, Don't you dare! And I, I think I'm going to wear a kilt Don't. and post every single distance uh, of my training session. But um, yeah, it's a strange one. Wearing, wearing a kilt at training is is not something I, I don't think would benefit you in any way. Um, by all means, if if you want to really prepare for a competition, get on the grass, put your spikes on, put your kilt on, but you don't really need to film it and tell everyone how far you're throwing. You forgot, uh, um, you forgot to mention you have to put your non-striped um, kilted socks on. Yeah, yeah well, that was uh, <laughs> that was another uh, another rule which wasn't massively enforced, was it? Just, just enforced on me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it's uh, too much of an issue. I mean, why is why is someone bothered if we're wearing stripy socks? <laughs> I mean, for 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 a bit of context there, I, I used to compete in uh, blue and white striped socks, and uh, it was sort of brought in uh, as a rule that people had to wear one coloured hose after about two games, so that descended into people wearing you know football socks or pretty much whatever the hell they wanted. Uh, except yeah. me, I had to wear uh, one coloured hose. <laughs> anyway, if you like went me, with it, so and you had, you had a good season, so maybe it's a good luck thing now. I was about to say, it seems like a great place to wrap up with all the positivity we've just put in the world. Um, <laughs> but uh, our next episode, which I guess will be, we could call it next week's, so we're going to have on the man himself, um, the, the big man, Scott Ryder. Scott um, Ryder's coming on, yeah. He's agreed to come on for a little chin wag, and we're going to just talk a, a load of uh, exciting and and captivating subjects with him, so that's something we can look forward to. Um, I guess, yeah, if, well, I guess if anyone has any questions for him, we could uh, we could put them to them in a sort of Q and was just about to say, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be great to have Scott on. Like I, I mentioned previously, there he he won worlds in Hulkirk in two thousand and sixteen. So he's also got a great sporting background. He's been at a Commonwealth Games. He's also been at a, a Winter Olympics as an athlete as well. So yeah, if, if anyone's got any uh, any questions they'd like us to put to Scott, just just send them over in a in a message um to either Kyle or or myself. But no, that's been good good catching up again, Kyle. And I'm I'm look, really looking forward to, to the next episode and, and having Scott on. He's a yeah. good guy and I think he's He's helped both of us a lot over the last few years, you know. He's a he's a tremendous thrower and an even bigger personality, so I'm looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, that's that, I suppose that's episode three and episode four will be uh, next week and it'll be involving Scott, myself, and Sinclair. So thanks for listening, and I will hopefully catch you on the next one. Cheers, Kyle. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>